We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Arizona, Colorado, Indiana, Michigan, New Jersey, Tennessee, and Virginia. WinBet is now live in all these states, and the excitement of Win Las Vegas has finally landed in online sports betting and casino play. For boosted parlays to live in-game offs on every major sport, WinBet gives you the tools to win. Sign up today for your risk-free $1,000 sports bet. Download the WinBet app now or visit winbet.com. That's W-H-N-N-Bet.com to start winning. Blue Wire. Welcome back. This is the Big Blue Banter, New York Giants football podcast. I'm Dan Schneier, joined as always my co-host Nick Villato. And listen, the draft is on its way. We're narrowing down these days. I know you've probably listened to some of our interviews with draft experts and guests from all around the country. But one thing we wanted to do this year that we didn't get a chance to do last year is preview an entire position. And what we wanted to do within that preview is talk about our top five players at that position, even if some of those players aren't on the Giants' radar. And for the position we're discussing today, the wide receiver group, I don't really think almost any of these players are on the Giants' radar at five or seven. Now, 36, if one falls, that's when the discussion begins. We also wanted to talk about some sleepers that we like at each position, receiver being this one. We also wanted to talk about kind of an overview of the position. Is it a strong group? Does it have high-end talent? Is it a deep class? How does it compare to the last classes, you know? Should the Giants be actively looking to double dip or draft players from this position group within this class? Will there be likely wide receivers who are BPA picks in multiple rounds for the Giants? So we're going to finish this things off by going over wide receivers that we feel comfortable drafting with each specific pick that the Giants have. But one thing I will say is one thing we were considering is talking about players who were just not as high on as the consensus. But at this specific position, I couldn't really think of any. And Nick was the same way. It's an interesting from that standpoint, I just don't really feel like anyone's being overhyped. I almost feel like the majority of these players are being underhyped still <laughs> for, for what they put on tape. So without any further ado, Nick, how are you doing today on this lovely, lovely, well, I won't even say the day because we don't even know when we're going to drop this podcast. <laughs> I'm doing well, man. It's good to be here talking some wide receivers with you and we'll get into the class, but it's an interesting class for sure. A bunch of different types of wide receiver speed, big body, big slots. So it makes for a good conversation. Yeah, let's start actually by discussing where the Giants are at as a roster and as a franchise at the wide receiver position. Give me a little feel, Nick, for where you're at with the wide receiver position right now. Do you feel comfortable with how it looks for 2022? Do you feel comfortable with how it looks for 
say 2023, 24, 25? Do you feel like it's a position that is a major need? Or do you feel like there's specific skill set maybe that can be a major need or a major kind of, I would say, solution for the Giants' offensive woes? If you look at the Giants' wide receiver room, it, it shouldn't give you that warm and fuzzy feeling that you want. And it's kind of crazy to think that because they signed Kenny Galladay to a huge deal last offseason and they used the first-round pick on Kadarius Toney. But if you look at their perceived top three wide receivers right now, they all have injury concerns. Sterling Shepard's coming off of a torn Achilles. It's a terrible injury. Kadarius Toney was dinged up the entire season and tried to play through injury, but it didn't necessarily work. But we saw the flashes when he was healthy earlier in the season against Dallas and New Orleans. And then and then the Rams until he left that game. And then Kenny Galladay. He was out there, but was he? <laughs> like it was one of the uh, worst first seasons I think you can have after signing a a big contract in the previous offseason. It has to be. No touchdowns. And a lot of that was also a product of Jason Garrett and just a dysfunctional offense and a dysfunctional coaching staff. But I look at this wide receiver room and, and it's it's something that could definitely still use an upgrade, definitely still use somebody who the Giants are going to pair with Kadarius Tony for the future. I mean, it looks like Kenny Galladay is going to be around for quite a little while. Hopefully he gets to thrive in the Brian Dable offense, but I'm not looking at this receiver position right now and thinking, yes, this is, we're set. Let's move forward with this. I think they definitely need some help. Yeah. Wide receiver is an interesting position we've discussed in the past. I've, you know, I've had some, I don't want to say radical, but pretty extreme thoughts on just kind of prioritizing the offensive line in the trenches over skill players and wide receivers. And, you know, you watch what Jamar Chase did as a rookie. And some people say, well, that flips the script. That makes it more so you want to start prioritizing the skill guys. But it was a very unique situation. He threw a thousand balls. He caught a thousand balls with Joe Burrow prior to their final season at LSU. Then they had a full season's worth of report at LSU. Then they come in and they immediately have that rapport. The Giants aren't going to have any of those options with Daniel Jones this year. So to think that a receiver can make a more immediate impact. And also that argument, like we talked about in the past, I think we mentioned on one podcast, Nick. It doesn't really factor in longevity. Like, yes, right now it looks like a slam dunk Jamar Chase over Penny Sewell, or even if you want to extend that to Rashawn Slater for the Bengals. But in five years, will that still be the case? That is a total open book right now. We don't know based on injuries, based on progression of these players. So I still stand by what I believe in, which is build through the trenches and find a quarterback. And that's how you win the NFL with obviously the additive and the kind of thing that I've adopted in recent years, which is corners man cover corners are insanely important in this league and i'm putting them up with the trenches right now it's really a three-pronged thing for me quarterback most important by far building the trenches out and then obviously you know having those corners who can lock up in man so you can play man as a defense but as far as where the giants are at in relation to that i'd say nick nailed the head nailed it on the head i mean holiday one of the most disappointing and surprising i would say seasons after a big time signing now we have to keep a few things in mind we didn't, credit, we didn't discredit them for this at the time. We celebrated it like everyone else because, look, I thought Galladay was an incredible prospect that rarely hits the market at the wide receiver position. I still believe that. And I don't think, in my opinion, a lot of what his down season came down to was bad quarterback play, bad offensive line play, and bad coaching. All three of those things, with the hon- onus being on bad quarterback play and bad coaching, to be completely honest with, this, with where I saw it. But as far as Galladay goes... 
the Giants did bid against themselves. Like, there's a BS rumor the Bears are interested. That was probably just to, to mess with their Allen Robinson negotiations. They were only giving him a one-year deal anyway. The Giants bid against themselves. Dave Gettleman doesn't care about those types of things. He never did. He's like, we like this guy. He's good in the building. He showed well in the interview. Let's make him feel welcome. Let's give him that big contract that he feels like he deserves. That's bad business. And so a lot of other teams are not surprised by his, I guess you would say, disappointing first season. And to some extent, Nick, there is no excuse. Quarterback play, offensive line play, or coaching. That's There's no excuse for how unproductive he was at times. How, you know, at times on his film, it didn't look like he was fully engaged with the game plan. Now, again, that could be also just because he's just so sick of playing in that Garrett offense with Daniel Jones at quarterback and Mike Glennon and, and Jake Fromm. to be completely honest with you, that, that could be the case. Who knows? But either way, you expect more. And if you look at it long term, you can't even feel totally comfortable with Kadarius Tony right now. So I feel like this is a bigger need than we've been discussing all offseason and a bigger need, I guess, than some people are giving it credit for, Nick. But I'll, I'll say this. I'm looking for something very specific at the wide receiver position if the Giants are going to go that route. Do you have that? Before I dive into that, do you have that on your radar? So if you look around the NFL right now, it seems like a lot of teams are putting a high precedent on speed. And the wide receiver position just in general, after we saw what happened with Devontae Adams and Tyree Kill, the teams that possess those players have high-priced quarterbacks. So other teams pursued them. It seems like the wide receiver position is is being focused on a lot more after, as you said, that Jamar Chase came into the league and dominated. And I feel like that's not something necessarily that was adopted over the last 10 years. I mean, yes, wide receiver play has always been important, but now you're just seeing record-breaking contracts to that position. But if I had to nail down one aspect that I would like for a wide receiver, now we have the X receiver in Kenny Galladay. Darius Slayton was supposed to be a burner who ran in the four threes. He has significantly regressed. I think I want the speed because we know Brian Dable likes to open things up. We know he likes to stretch the field vertically and horizontally as long as the offensive line can block. And Kadarius Tony has good speed. Yes, I think you can look at Darius Slayton if he's on the roster. Say he also has good speed. But if you can find somebody with that game-changing type of speed and the ability to release off the line of scrimmage and just really quick accelerators, I think that's who I kind of want to go after for the New York Giants current roster. But I would also not be opposed to another X type of receiver, quote unquote, someone who is a big body contested catch type guy. But if I had to choose, it would be the speed. Yeah, you 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 nailed it, Nick. I mean, that's exactly where I was going with this before I tossed it over. And we've talked about this in the past, so it's probably not a surprise. We actually just had a good conversation with John Schmelk of Giants.com about this. And I just thought I saw such a major difference in the Giants offense when John Ross was on the field last season. And because of his speed and because of what his speed changes how your offense because of how his speed changes how your offense looks. Like even in that Saints game, you look at it, the best offensive game of the season for the Giants. Their decision to hit that vertical shot to John Ross earlier in that first half not only delivered them a long touchdown, one of their fir first and only long explosive plays of the season to that point. And, you know, unfortunately, from that point on, but <laughs> they it also gave them a different it made the deep it forced the defense to play the Giants differently. You have to when you have somebody on the field who can line up on the boundary and threaten vertically on every single snap. It makes it so difficult for a defense to play its safeties up closer to the box or play a more aggressive game plan. And it 
opens up the field rather than condenses it. And it changes the, changes the entire chess match when you have the vertical speed. But what I'm specifically looking for is not necessarily another Darius Slayton type or even just somebody with vertical speed that kind of checks in more in the Jamison Williams range. I do like Jamison Williams, as we'll get to. I'm looking for a big-bodied vertical threat, a big-body guy with that same th- two traits that you said. One, and most important to me, is your acceleration off the snap. Do you chew off ground? Do you chew up ground in your first one to five yards, five to ten yards on the vertical route? And then two, just that pure raw speed over the top. And the reason I want somebody to be big-bodied, or I guess just like, you know, a more complete receiver is a fair way to say it. You don't have to obviously have the big body. Odell Beckham doesn't have it, and he was able to, to win in this way, but... I want you to be able to be on the field for all of the snaps. I don't want you to have to come off the field. I don't want you to have to be this guy who, when you bring it on, the defense adjusts just for those plays, or you kind of tip off what you want to do as an offense. I want you to be on the field for every snap so you don't tip off any of those things. And so you have that element to your offense the entire time, regardless of if he's getting the football, just be the knife in the defense. I mean, how... It worked 20 years ago when Sean Payton, and I'm not saying he introduced this, by the way, but just for my football knowledge, when I started getting deep into football, Sean Payton is the, is, once he went over to the Saints, and even with the Giants, he did this during Kerry Collins' years, he always had that knife in the defense. It could have been even guys just like Devry Henderson, who are not unbelievable players by any means, but they had that vertical element. And it just creates so much space in the middle of the field. Andy Reid's a big proponent of this as well. We've seen this throughout his time with the Eagles, even when they didn't have the talent, and obviously with the Chiefs. It opens up that middle of the field, and that makes it so much easier for the quarterback and for your offense to generate explosive passing plays when you have a spaced-out defense. And so it's such a big element to me that I'm willing to put a priority on it, even though I don't totally believe in investing in these skill guys because, as we'll get to in a moment, Nick, this is a super deep class, but we say that about every class because every freaking class in the last four or five has been incredibly deep with talent you can find in rounds two, three, and four, maybe even five. And it's like, do you want to prioritize taking instead the top end guys in rounds one and two, or do you want to try to find those guys? But if you can find a guy in this class, Nick, that can be on the field for every snap and has that rare acceleration and vertical speed, um, I'm, I'm in on it. Yeah, and I think there's one at the top that we'll probably get into. And I also want to say this is a deep class, but I also don't feel like it's as top-heavy as last year's class with Jamar right. Chase, Jalen Waddell, and then Devonta Smith, and then Rashad Bateman, who was also a really talented receiver. And then you also had Elijah Moore. So that was a top-heavy class, but I feel like the notch below, like Jameson Williams, I think you can add him in that conversation, specifically with Rashad Bateman. I like Garrett Wilson, Drake London. We'll, we'll go through all that. But for that one B or that like really, really good second receiver on an offense, there's just a bunch of them in this draft, yes. which makes the draft deep. Yeah, exactly. And I think you're right there. It's not as, as high end talent and not as top end talent. And there's just no, I, it, it's even rare for me to have a class where I'm like not sold on a wide receiver one. Like we were sold on Jamar chase as the best receiver in last year's class. And in past years, like I was sold on CD lamb as the best receiver in that class. I know some people had Judy, um, out to the Raiders took rugs. But even if you look at like that class, I, I think to me, from what I saw on film, this might be different for you. And I totally feel like I understand if it's the case. I thought Ruggs was a better prospect than Jamison Williams. To me, I thought he did a better job high pointing the ball. I thought he did a better job tougher over the middle. And he has the same explosive traits as well that stand out for Williams. And so even in that class, and I had him as like wide receiver three or four in that class. Can't remember. There's one more guy I liked. So just to me, the top end talent isn't as there. And even kind of as you get a little deeper into day three, I think there's less options I'm super excited about as like super deep sleepers, Nick. What are your thoughts on that? 
there's so many receivers I haven't seen yet in that area. Yeah, that's fair. Full, full disclosure that I don't necessarily want to see. I know there's a lot of fame here. Guys, so I, I want to, um, you know, do, I don't want to speak ill of people that I haven't necessarily seen yet. And as we'll get to the deeper sleepers, I'll, I'll be totally transparent and forefront. When I go that deep, I'm betting on trades. I'm a hundred percent betting on trades. So I'll watch, try to watch what I can of these guys, but it's mostly what I see right away when I watch them and what their build is and what their athletic profile is, because that's, that's how I like to do it later in the year. And that's how a lot of NFL teams have found success betting on trades with those day three picks. Um, so we'll get to that. There's a lot to discuss here. Let's first start though here by diving into your top five receivers in this class. We're going to do top fives at every position. So you can give your top five, and then I'll give my top five. Start with yeah. one. Don't, don't, we don't need to tease it. My top receiver in this class is Jamison Williams. I just think his vertical ability, and I, and I get the fact that he didn't crack a roster at Ohio State. And I think that you weigh that into the equation, even though they had some established dudes there. He transfers to Alabama, and you see how he's just torching these SEC cornerbacks, doing it against teams like Georgia. That one play that went for 55 yards and a touchdown, I think it was in the SEC championship game against Georgia, where he throttled down. Insane play, by the way. Insane. He's like 20 yards downfield, and he throttles, sinks his hips, acts as he's coming back. The cornerback, poor guy, stops his momentum, and then he just accelerates. But out of the break is insane and it's still vertical he's not cutting horizontally at all but once he sinks his hips and then decides to go vertical again it's just a double move the acceleration out of that little break that little double move was just insane there was a second and a third gear there for him to separate beat the safety's angle and then catch the football that kind of speed man those Tyree Kill types, those Jalen Waddle types and I'm not saying he's as fast as Tyree Kill but those types of players fundamentally change what the defense is going to do with you because you have, as you said, that just vertical stretch ability, but he's not just somebody who is going to stretch the field vertically. He has a pretty well-diversed game that he put on film all throughout 2021. Now that's the only year that he did that because he was at Ohio State buried on a deep depth chart there, but he was able to go down to Alabama and dominate down there. And if you just watch so much Evan Neal tape, right? And I just kept looking at Jamison Williams. Like, dude, did he really beat that guy again? Holy crap. Did he really do that at the top of his break? Holy crap. Like, he just has all of those route running characteristics to sell breaks and then accelerate out with elite acceleration out of those breaks. And I think that's a very important way to defeat defensive backs who are going to be elite in the NFL. Yeah, you nailed that. He's also my wide receiver one in this class. That play stood out to me, too. It's just like I remember watching that live and being like, oh, my God, this dude is different. He is a lock first rounder in my mind just from seeing that play. And then you watch more and you're like, well, is there untapped potential? Because it's not his fault. He was buried on that depth chart over at Iowa. I mean, like, look at the talent that they have, even just coming into this class, Wilson and Olave. So I don't blame him for that. But like you said, I'm looking for difference making traits when I'm going. I'm always a big scouter and believer when I'm uh, evaluating this, these draft classes in what can a player do? What can they do? Not what can't they do? What can they do at an elite level? Because once you get to the next level in the NFL, even if you played in the SEC, you're just facing such a different level of competition. Like Obviously, it's much better to see somebody have success against SEC opponents than it is like watching Will Hernandez dominate at UTEP and then he can't make the jump. No, no offense, Will Hernandez. Now, now, now Arizona Cardinal Will Hernandez. But look, I'm looking for those traits that can beat NFL-level talent. And I think Williams has that with like you just like you just broke down perfectly. So he's my wide receiver one. Give me your wide receiver two. My wide receiver two, and this is where it gets really funky because my two to yeah. six, they're all insanely, insanely close. I agree with but that. But I'm gonna go with 
yeah, I'm going to go with Garrett Wilson, to be honest. Now, the film that he put on display in 2021 was excellent. And again, this is somebody who can run the crisp routes, doesn't always have to. I feel like he has the spatial awareness to go up against zone coverage and find those soft spots behind linebackers and in front of safeties. I felt like he was a smart route runner, and he was somebody who just had a bunch of those highlight type of catches on his film. I was a little concerned by his weight. I think he ended up going to the combine and weighing in at one. 92 I believe he's not the biggest guy he is only six foot but I look at him and Chris Olave and I say both of these guys I think they could be really solid number two wide receivers on team because they have that route technician ability I feel like the releases off the line of scrimmage are solid I'll say at Ohio State they faced you know a decent amount of off coverage specifically because of their speed and their ability to take the top off of defenses but they're quick-footed. They have excellent body control. And I felt like he just made a bunch of catches similar to Jahan Dotson that were away from his frame, going up, plucking the football, using all of his 32-inch arms, which is solid for a wide receiver. So he has that solid catch radius. So I think I'm going to go with Garrett Wilson here. Again, it's not one of those things that I'm going to slam home, be like, it's definitely Garrett Wilson over you know whoever my next guy is. Yeah. But I do like his game. For sure. And I think you said it best. I mean, if you watch a lot of Big Ten and you watch a lot of Big Ten tape, you do see a lot of off coverage against these Ohio State, this Ohio State receivers, not just this year in past years based on their system and the success Ryan Day has had there. It's not ideal when you're evaluating tape of a receiver, when you're trying to figure out what he can be at the next level, in my opinion. And I don't really feel like he went up against any elite corners, to be honest, from what I've seen. But I do like him and but I'm not going to get to him yet. He'll he's my number three is a little teased because and, and I'll just kind of leave it there on Wilson. But my number two is one of my guys. And this is a guy who a lot of people probably have down as wide receiver five, six, seven range. And that's totally fine. I totally understand why. And that's Traylon Burks from Arkansas. And I totally understand why you would be out on Burks because some of his route running does not look crisp. And <laughs> there are some issues in, in, in some people's mind with his ability to, I guess, get vertical and, and, and kind of beat defeat press coverage. There's very few reps in be, be, uh, even trying to match up against press coverage. Obviously, we talked about on the profile that rep against A&M, I believe, from early in the season where he destroys the dude for an 85-yarder. But again, I'm betting on traits here, and I really freaking love this dude's traits, man. And I love the way he plays. It's a combination of the dog in him and his traits. He is somebody who almost reminds me in some ways of that Debo Samuel-esque after-the-catch upside and trait-like ability but at six foot three and 225 pounds, it's insane. And then you just watch him separate on some of these plays from defensive backs after the catch or separate on some of these plays, or I'm sorry, eliminate angles on some of these plays that the safeties think they have. They're so certain they have Burks dead to rights and he just beats it at six foot three, 225. And I just feel like when you, ha- and then just throw the cherry on top when you watch him high point of football or some of the contested catch uh, plays he makes on 50-50 balls that are just not well thrown and just put up in the vicinity and he just comes down with them with his super strong hands. And I know, again, look, he didn't measure the hands people expected the combine. But on the flip side, Arkansas had to order like special <laughs> special size gloves for him. So obviously something is off there. Something's awry. And when you watch him, the hands are clearly a weapon for him on tape. And so I just am banking on the straights. I'm banking on an absolute freak to get better at his craft because he's still young at six foot three, 225, with my mind, the ability to win breakaway speed wise after the catch, but also the ability to win on the outside as a 50 50 contested catch receiver. 
And I love that call too with Traylon Burks. And one thing I wanted to say about Garrett Wilson, another reason why I have him so high is he's dangerous when he gets the football in his hands in terms of his yak ability. But to go back to Traylon Burks, I actually have him at six. And that's not because I don't like Traylon Burks. It's just I was trying to find a way to fit a lot of these wide receivers up there. And I do really like Jahan Dotson, although I can definitely hear arguments and be swayed off of that ranking right there. I just think with the NFL really being catered towards the offenses, the, the slight framed wide receivers, that knock isn't as prominent as it was maybe 10 years ago. And we saw that maybe with, you know, Devonta Smith last year. But to just talk about Traylon Burks because he fell out of my top five, I, I want to just go over everything you just said because you're 100% right. Now, I think the concerns with Traylon Burks is his route tree. His route tree was really rudimentary. And the fact that he was used a lot in the slot and that he was the focal point of the offense, which sounds good, but that's also because he was playing at Arkansas. I think that's a fair critique. But man, you go back to some of his plays that he made on the outside specifically, and we talked about this on a prior podcast, Dan, the one against Texas A&M in the first quarter, the 85-yard touchdown. He was outside on the numbers there, and he released and manipulated the crap out of that cornerback who was up in press. So those are also concerns. Like, can he defeat press coverage? Well, he definitely seems to have the size and the physical nature to do so, but is he fluid enough with his footwork? And on that play, he definitely showed signs of being fluid enough to defeat that because he won the outside shoulder and just got the guy completely turned around and then separated. And a 4-5-5 isn't that bad for Traylon Burks, who's six foot three, 225 pounds, but I feel like we're viewing it as being a knock on him because we expected him to run faster because that's what everybody was saying but he didn't that's what his tape back. shows by the way is legit game yeah. speed yes he has he has that play speed and if anybody wants to watch just type in Traylon burke's alabama highlights and how he runs away from five-star recruits which he did on that play i don't remember exactly where in the game it was but it was a long run where he should have been tackled and it was a huge play i mean it went for 66 yards i believe so that was something that i think Traylon burke's showed the play speed we all expected it to be better than a four five five. It wasn't, but I, I'm not going to read too much into that. I really do like Traylon Burks, even though he falls out of my top five. Yeah, for sure. And number three for me was Wilson. Similar, similar breakdown to Nick. I don't really need to get into it too much, but I do kind of see what Nick sees though. More, the reason I don't love Wilson would probably be more of a wide receiver, high end wide receiver two ceiling. Almost in my mind, kind of like I know people have compared him to Stefan Diggs, but I just don't think he's as expl- a little bit less explosive of an athlete as Diggs, and just to me is not. It's not the same total total type of prospect there, so I guess that would be the ceiling. Is Diggs bigger than Diggs is bigger than him too. I think Diggs is actually not that big, but he might be a little bigger than Wilson. Wilson's pretty small comparatively to most of the wide receiver ones you typically. Yeah, see. yeah Diggs is six foot one ninety five, okay. so they're comparable yeah. in size. Seems like he's thicker. So my my number three wide receiver would be Drake London out of USC, and again, his big knock would be his deep speed, his ability to create separation. But he's definitely not just a stiff man because the way he was utilized was used on screens. They were trying to get the football into his hands, and he was by far and away the best player on USC's roster, offense or defense. I mean, Drake Jackson's a solid outside linebacker type, but Drake London could be a top 15 pick in this class. And if you want to just see a highlights of a former basketball player, which he was, going up and just plucking the ball out of the air, away from his frame, through contact, with physicality, with excellent body control. Look no further than Drake London's highlights because they're all over the place. When you watch the Colorado game, it really stuck out. You watch a lot of those games. He's going up, climbing the ladder, and just using his big, strong hands to come down with the football, winning those 50-50 contested catch type of plays. But I think he's more than that too, man. When you get him in a confined space, he shows a little wiggle, bro. He has a little bit of elusiveness. He's not just a stiff out there. Ultimately, I'm a little bit worried about that deep speed. 
but I think he's going to be able to overcome that. Now, where do you select a player like this? That, that That's an interesting question. And this is also someone who aligned a lot in the slot. He also aligned a lot out wide to the uh, left side most of the time. So I think that's something else. He didn't really align too much in 2021 to the right side. But if you want a receiver that you're just going to throw the football up, he's going to go up and grab it. Drake London's the best in the class at that. Yeah, it's interesting. I have London just outside my top five at number six. And you were right when you talked to me about it earlier. Like, you're going to like this guy more than you. Or you're going to think he's a little different than what you expected going into watching him. That was correct. And mostly because of what you mentioned as part of your breakdown, which is he's more elusive and has better agility than I expect in space. But it's not an elite level trade of his by any means. And it shouldn't be for someone that size. Right. But it's yeah. it, but it's clear. To, but for me, it's clear as day. It's not. And as I look at somebody like this, the reason he falls out of my top five is. I don't feel comfortable saying he's a lead at really anything from watching him. I guess you can say those jump ball, that jump ball ability, but I see a lot of receivers who do that really well. I see some receivers who may not be as big as big as him or have that basketball background, but are a little bit stronger at the catch point or do different things like uh, to box out defenders, which he can do well as well. But, and you could call it an elite trade. It's fine. But how much of, how much is that elite trade? I should say translatable to the next level. It can be in some offenses for sure. We've seen Vincent Jackson make a great career out of that. We've seen Mike Williams kind of come on late with that style, but we've also seen a lot of these guys struggle to beat outside press coverage with this style. If they're not really that fast vertically and they don't really get into their vertical stem that fast. And I just feel like from watching him, there's nothing he does elite in my mind, at least with the exception of maybe I guess the jump ball type stuff. And I just feel like the ceiling is a little bit lower than it should be for a player that would reach my top five in a class like this. In addition to, I can see more of a floor than some people believe like, if he can't beat press coverage and if he just struggles with his speed translating to the next level. Have you seen the Notre Dame game? I did not get a chance to see that. I'm looking at my notes right now. The games I actually watched. I did not watch that game. We had a 29 yard catch, but he also had a 44 yard catch here in my notes. And that was in the fourth quarter where he ran a cop route. So that's a corner post route. And dude, he looks pretty freaking fluid sinking his hips and throttling down there to get this cornerback just put in his place, feet stuck in the mud. And when he exploded back inside, the safety was taken away by another vertical concept. And he ends up making this catch through contact. That's just ridiculous, man. Like to me, that trait that he possesses is elite. But I do share the same concerns with the speed. And I also think he would be effective, and he showed this at USC, on those quick slants. So he can operate in the quick game, and it doesn't necessarily just have to be screens, something that he ran quite often. I think if you put him on the line of scrimmage, you give him free access, and if he has leverage inside, he can just fire his feet, turn that big wide frame of his right back to the quarterback and win in that area to kind of keep the chains moving in the quick game West Coast offense type stuff. Yeah, and he does a lot of things really well. I don't want to knock him. He's he's just outside my top five at six, and I feel like he I could easily be back in there. But just wanted to give a little nod to him as we move forward. Your f- number four and my number four are the same player. So who do you got? Yeah, we have Chris Alave here, and and I really like Chris Alave as a route technician. I actually saw on Twitter he ran this route, and I don't remember what game it was, but it reminded me so much of Steph Diggs and the route that Steph Diggs ran somewhere in the middle of the season where they're in the red zone and they just explode towards the near pylon after releasing off the line of scrimmage and selling an inside break, and it just created so much separation. I think Chris Alave he might be the best route runner in this class. I think it's also going to be up in the air with the next person that we're going to be talking about. And then somebody else who's outside my top five is also a really, really good route runner. But Alave has the vertical speed. He has the route technician ability in terms of selling his brakes, throttling down, 
getting open, understanding zone coverage, having that kind of spatial awareness. And I also felt like he did a solid job extending away from his frame. He, he His hands, I, I feel like, you know, they're, they're good hands. So I, I liked Chris Alave, ran a lot of go routes. So he was basically tasked to run a lot down there. He was basically a part of a track team. How many times Ryan yeah. Day sent him to, to try and stretch the defense? Yeah, Olave is my four, and I really like Olave. I know some people are down on Olave lately. We had John Schmelk on, who's not a big fan of Olave. But Olave is a player for me who caught my attention really early in his Ohio State career. I've seen him play a ton of snaps just on the broadcast, and I watched him on film, and it's the same player I expected. I think there's some things about his game that aren't traditional, I guess, top-end traits or things that you discuss and say, this leads to the next best receiver at the NFL level. But they're traits that are just natural. I think Nick did a great job explaining one of them. He just has unbelievable spatial awareness and understanding for where to find the soft spots in the zone. And that goes hand in hand with two things that he has. One, the route running, which I think is one of three players I put as the best route runners that I've seen so far on tape. I'm curious to see if we have the same three there, Nick, because um, we didn't discuss this beforehand. I'm sure we'll get it. Now that we've teased it, we'll probably get a chance to get into it. But if not the best, one of the three best route runners I've seen also has the vertical element. Like it's not just that he ran that four, four flat or whatever it was close to four, four. You see it on the game film. He does a great job getting vertical. He understands how to get vertical and to win vertically. And he understands how to track the ball vertically combine all of those things. I know there's nothing top end here, but to me, his specific profile, I've seen fewer players bust with his profile than I have with, with, uh, with the, um, sorry, the Drake London profile, that big, the bigger receiver profile. And I know typically the bigger receivers that lately have been doing better in the NFL. I understand all that, but I just feel like there's a little bit higher floor for Olave than 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 uh, London for me. Maybe if not the same, maybe if a little bit small uh, small over ceiling that I'm not factoring in as much. It's totally fine. I totally get it. a lot of people like London, but that's why he made the top five over London for me. And and I and I like Olave. If he's there, and there's a chance he falls just based on his profile. And if he's there at 36, I'll be as we'll get to soon. I'll be interested. There are two plays that really stuck out to me on film. The one was against Michigan. It was, I think, the last game of the year, one of the last games of the year that Ohio State played. And it was a 39-yard catch where he released outside off the line of scrimmage, and he was one-on-one -on -one against his cornerback, and the throw was a little bit underthrown. So he had to, after having the cornerback beat, he had to work back inside and kind of through the inside shoulder of the cornerback jump, and it felt like he was levitating there for a split second, and then locate the football and make a contested catch. That one really stuck out to me, and so did the play against Penn State that went for, I think, 38 yards for a touchdown, and mainly just because pre-snap, it looked like it was going to be a too high middle of the field open type look. Chris Alave was aligned as the number two wide receiver, and when he explodes up the stem, he runs a deep over. So the guy who looks like he's going to be one of the deep safeties comes down over the top of Alave. So Alave just goes right underneath him. And then from the backside where his route is going to be, the safety drops from what looked like it was going to be a deep half into a middle of the field closed look. And this is Jaquan Brisker, I believe. So Alave sold it like he was going to go vertical. So Brisker opened his hips to run with it, but instead he cut underneath. And this got Brisker's hips completely turned around. And then Alave just exploded into space and there was no one there to cover him. That shows a lot of kind of mental processing and ability to adapt your route with what you see the defense is doing with whatever the defense is doing. That's reactionary quickness, all of those mental aspects. And yeah, he's been at school for quite a while. He stayed, he could have went back last year. But those little things intrigue me because that's going to pay off for him in the NFL. I love that breakdown, and I think he did a great job explaining just Thanks. just the little types of things that get us excited about what when you when you watch the film of these types of players, these receivers, and to me still remains by far and away the position I like evaluating most, and the position I feel most comfortable evaluating that and running back. But 
mostly receiver for me. It's my favorite one. And so let's get to our number fives because they're both players who are not in the top five of everybody's receiver rankings. And, uh, and you know, more of plant flagging, I guess you could say. So we should probably make our case. I'll let you do your case for your number five first. Yeah, so my number five is Jahan Dotson, and that's mainly because I think he is one of the best route runners in this class, if not the best. I think it's up in the air. A lot of these guys who are kind of at the top are are really, really good route runners. But he had this one play where he sold this double move against Maryland, and I think it was Nick Cross, somebody who's probably going to be a a day two safety, maybe early day three. And it ended up going for a touchdown because he just ran. (laughs) He totally manipulates the poor guy. He sold the post and then just exploded on like a slow go type of route and he was wide open the throw was insanely underthrown by the Penn State quarterback but he adjusted made the catch and secured it for a touchdown that went 38 yards and when you just go through his film he's just running really crisp routes and has excellent footwork his foot efficiency is really high doesn't have a lot of wasted movements at the line of scrimmage and I think he probably could have had even a more dynamic year if his quarterback didn't kind of hold him back just a little bit and he still had a damn dominant season and I think he is a top five receiver in this class but he's one of those guys that you know he's not that big that's a little bit concerning he's only 184 pounds about five foot 11 but I think he's going to come in you can put him in the slot despite the fact that he aligned mostly out wide if you can align wide but I think ideally he's probably a Z, but you know, that stuff's really open. Z, X, slot, whatever. They're used everywhere these days, but you can align him in the slot. You give him a free release and uh, you're going to have one hard person to track down on your hands. And he's also a yak guy. Oh my God. It was so hard to keep Dotson out of my top five. He's not in my top five. He's not my five, but he was tough to keep out. Nick, this Nick, there's a couple players. Nick's like, when you get a chance to watch these guys, you're going to love them. And he was right. He knew I was going to like watching Dotson because Dotson has the traits. I like one. Nick said it really, really few wasted steps with his footwork and his ability to get in and out of his breaks within his routes. He's a really crafty route runner. I mean, you'll see him do a variety of different things to get open. Then you add the ball skills to that, that unbelievably weirdly great catch radius for someone who didn't have big hands or long arms or wasn't a lengthy prospect at the combine. Really odd. Another one of those players, kind of like Burks, where he looks a lot different on film than he tested at from a catch radius standpoint. That ability to adjust in the air, the body control, when you have those two traits, the route running and the ability to adjust to contested catch situations and make great plays in the football. It's super intriguing. And Nick talked about a really fun route that I that I that I also had written down and highlighted because you see it on that route. You see the upside of a player like him. Now you add in a few other things that I like. One, he has return experience as their as the punt returner for Penn State. He is also just really good in space as a as a yak guy, as a, a yard after the catch guy. That trait I wouldn't say is as elite to me at least as his route running and his um contested catch, body control, that type of stuff, catch radius type of stuff. And I thought it would be a little bit better just from what I had heard from people. I thought he'd be a little bit more explosive and, and breakaway in space, but he's creative in space, that's for sure. And he, and he does a really good job of creating yards after contact in space. That's also for sure. So I like him a lot. And then you had the, the last thing here that I like, Nick, a lot about his profile. And I like this with a lot of these receiver prospects I evaluate. He was held back by his quarterback play at Penn State. I think that Clifford's one of the worst quarterbacks I've watched on, a, on an extended basis over the last five seasons. I've been telling my Penn State friends this. They don't disagree, but they also hate to hear it at times, especially when I bring up Will Levis, who they still hate and believe sucks and can't believe he's getting the buzz. They There was a whole thread with, Penn, uh, with one of my best friends who's a Penn State guy. Uh, shout out Gary Levine and his diehard Penn State friends. They're like diehard fans. I mean, they go through the whole recruiting, everything. And they're just trashing Pete Prisco, my boy from CBS Sports, for putting out his Will Levis take a couple of weeks ago where he talked about how Levis could potentially be 
his quarterback one next year. He sees a potential route for that, which is which is to them wild. But either way, it can't possibly be as bad as Clifford. And I love those guys who are held back by poor quarterback play because you don't know what their ceiling actually is at the next level. It could be a lot higher than it is. So that's a great number five. Have you seen the Illinois game with Penn State? Uh, I did actually watch that one. That one is written down here. The the catch that he had over the top of the three defenders where the quarterback, I don't know what he was thinking, but he threw this absolute yeah. <laughs> duck that didn't even go like outside the numbers. And Dotson had to adjust, jump up in the air, and then get in front of the cornerback and between the safety to come That's down sick. with this catch for like 40 yards or something like that was insane. And then also to the yak point, this is against Ball State, but he caught a screen and took it for like 28 yards and a touchdown where he did just an amazing job reading the blocks the blocks were out there because it's against ball freaking state but the fact that he was able to read the blocks very well and if you watch it from the end zone on the all 22 you can just see somebody who really understands how to find the vulnerabilities of a defense and take a ball to the house love it absolutely love it all right on to my number five again a bit of a surprise though he's rising up some people's boards and that's christian watson the wide receiver out of north dakota state now let me preface this by saying this I have a lot of concerns with Watson, more concerns than I have with, well, I don't want to say Drake London because I think there is a potential chance his speed hurts him the next level. But overall, probably more concerns with a Drake London, probably more concerns than I have with a Jahan Dotson, probably more concerns than I have with a Sky Moore, for example, who's not in either of our top fives. But when it comes to Watson, and some of those concerns, I can go over them. I don't think he's as strong as the catch point as I want him to be, and there's just not a lot of examples of him making contested catches in traffic on Christian Watson's film. The other thing I don't like about him is I feel like, and this goes to what Nick said earlier with another prospect, he is, he does have a very, and that was Traylon Burks, another guy who I like and had in my top five. He does, has performed a rudimentary tra- uh, route tree, but two of those things actually could end up being positives. Like the first one being, they just really didn't throw him the ball that often at North Dakota state. It was a run heavy offense and they used him a lot on jet sweeps and he made a lot of explosive plays and added a crazy yards per catch. And, explosive play rate there Christian Watson that is the wide receiver out of North Dakota State always got to remember to remind the name but that could work it to his benefit the fact that they just didn't play in a pass heavy offense he wasn't able to showcase everything he's capable of he wasn't able to put up the numbers and maybe do some things that I wanted to see the other thing is the route tree stuff and and you know the the what he's been what he can do versus what he uh, might be able to do later in his future and again it's another thing just like with Burks I don't know if it's necessarily a negative because it might just be a case of he wasn't asked to run a lot of routes and he has an athletic ability to do it. And maybe that's something that you can immediately coach out at the next level or it could take time to coach out at the next level. But I do believe it's coachable. And I think when you have the traits, you have a better chance of that. And I, again, I'm focusing more on what they can do and what he can do, what he brings to the table that I don't think anyone in my top five brings except for Jamison Williams is that elite vertical speed and that elite acceleration off the snap. He chews up ground, man. It was so fun watching him at North Dakota State. I know he's going against these shitty corners, and I know that they're a run-heavy offense that could help him in some ways in this regard. But, man, does he eat up ground on vertical routes. He'll four or five steps into this thing, he is just lapping these defenders, it feels like. And then his just pure straight-line raw speed. Amazing. Then you add to all of that the the after-the-catch ability, because he's not just a raw speed guy. He's also an after the catch guy. And he also has shown some ability on these jet sweeps to kind of also give you that, that Debo Samuel trail on Burks type. Oh, well, this guy can be used as a weapon in space and somebody who can kind of force defenses to account for in every single play, which helps your offense in so many ways. 
And so those top end traits are why I'm excited. That's why he makes my top five. I'm looking for somebody who has the elite traits and could be ultimately the best player. I know the floor is low for Watson. Trust me. And I even see a player in this class who I think is like a discount version of Watson. that You could probably get like 100 picks later. And I'm not so sure I don't want him 100 picks later over a Watson. But I'm okay taking either of those types of guys. This is exactly what I outlined. I wanted at the beginning of the show, Nick, a six foot four guy who doesn't have to come off the field at any time and could just be a weapon for you in the vertical passing game, in the stretching the defense out from a schematic standpoint, and then after the catch as a kind of Debo-esque role. Yeah, and he's also used a lot in their rushing attack at North Dakota State. Yeah, he's a good blocker too. Yeah, yeah, he gets after it as a blocker, and maybe not as much as you would expect for a guy this size. Is a, true. That and also just because, like you said, he's going up against, you know, a bunch of dudes who are going to be like lawyers and accountants <laughs> and stuff like that. You so always, always say lawyers that. and accountants when you do this, Nick, but I'm sure, like, no offense <laughs> to these dudes, I don't know if they're getting, like, lawyer and accounting jobs. Like, I feel like insurance is probably the safer bet to, to say here. Yeah, let's let's go, let's go no with offense. insurance, man. Let's go with insurance. But I like Christian Watts. He's in my top ten, but he's not in my top five. I, I think there's uh, still a lot of development there. There's still a lot of question marks around Christian Watson, but all the things you were looking for that you said earlier, he has, man. And he's also very flexible, dude. He has all of the potential in the world. There's still a lot to work with there. I can't speak on the kid. And uh, John Schmelk brought up a couple guys like Denzel Mims and people who fit the similar profile to a Christian Watson who's coming from a smaller school than Baylor. That's where Mims ended up coming from a couple of years ago who hasn't really materialized in the league. So I definitely have my questions, but again, high upside type of guy, but also the low floor. And I don't really see, I know if Shemelke brought it up and it's a, it's fine to bring up. I don't totally see, and I remember watching Mims, a player who I did like, so I'll be first transparent in saying that um, at his draft slot. But I don't see the same type of prospect because I think Watson is a bit more flexible and a bit more, has a bit more after the catch type upside and, and lateral agility, which I think is huge in my evaluation of him and what his ceiling could be. I think that's a good point too, to be honest. I think he, I would say from an athletic standpoint, I don't have any of Mims testing numbers in front of me just from watching the film. And I didn't go over Mims extensively, but I did watch him that year. I do think Christian Watson has more athletic capabilities that translate to the NFL than maybe a Denzel Mims did. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right, Nick, let's dive into some sleepers that we have from this draft class. So we are going to have a few of the same here. That's just how this goes. Um, I think both. I think we have the same number one sleeper in this class. So it is what it is. 
It's just going to be the case sometimes. We have a couple different names. So how do you want to do this? Do you want to go for your number one sleeper first? Yeah, Baylor's Tyquan Thornton is somebody that definitely fits into this mold. And it's somebody that I feel like a lot more people are catching on to. A few weeks ago, I tweeted about him. But, I mean, he was the one who was the fastest at the combine. So that kind of sticks out to you. But we've seen plenty of fast guys going into the NFL and absolutely suck. Somebody who has a little bit more of a release package than I expected playing in the Big 12 when he was faced up against cornerbacks. And somebody who did a good job once he was at the top of his break to kind of sell his break. I felt like he had a little bit of those nuances in the route running. And he also had pretty good hands for somebody who has those Will Fuller hands that we were talking about a couple podcasts ago. And if you're looking for somebody who could just stretch the defense and who's going to be at a discount from a Jameson Williams and a Christian Watson, although he's not to their level, it's going to be a Tyquan Thornton who should be sitting there on day three. Yeah, I love that you brought up Tyquan Thornton here because Nick, he's my number one sleeper. You went over a lot of what he does well, but for me, I just want to start by saying this. Tyquan Thornton ran the fastest 40-yard dash of the combine. I think it was 428, which is insane type speed. I have never seen less hype surrounding a receiver who ran the fastest the combine. So when I went to watch him on film, I'm like, all right, well, this guy ran the fastest 40 and no one's talking about him. So he must suck. He must have really he must be really bad on tape. And then I was like, wait a second, this dude looks really good on tape. He has some nuanced route running in the red zone to create separation that I saw. He's really much stronger at the catch point than I ever expected. And I love his hand technique at the catch point. He uses, you know, we talk about in the past, the Evan Ingram kind of gator chop that Nick Nick went over. You never got to see it, I don't think, because I don't think he ever did it on the YouTube. We used to do YouTube videos but for that brief period. But he always would, like, act it out when we were podcasting, that gator chop-like catch motion. But one thing that's underrated is kind of watching how these guys – uh, attack the football and their catch technique and he attacks it perfectly with two hands exactly as you would teach it and in traffic he makes some really really tough catches then i also see some examples of him there was a red zone play i'm forgetting against who now where he makes an incredible adjustment to the ball just a simple slant but that's thrown behind him and he looks so natural and smooth and adjusting to the football that's thrown behind him putting those two hands up fast flashing them and then just making the catch a difficult catch to make so when you combine all that with the ability to maybe never be taken off the field because he has the ver- he has the length on the outside and the insane vertical speed and the acceleration in his vertical routes. I honestly feel like, and this is a track, a former track star athlete, by the way. I do honestly feel like he has the highest upside based on where he's going to be drafted of anyone in this class at any position. He's my number one sleeper receiver. He's the number one guy I want for the Giants on day three if he makes it there, and I hope he does. And if he does, he'll be my target right away. I'll be fine taking him with any pick from day that they have on day three. I'm really excited about Thornton. I think this is just a diamond in the rough that I don't really know why he's not getting the buzz. I, I, I get it. It's not a complete package there. He played against the crappy big 12 defenses all all that stuff is certainly true but there's a lot to like about Thornton for somebody who's projected so low in this draft class oh I couldn't agree more man and that play you were referring to I think was against TCU and bro like he also had a play against Oklahoma State and Oklahoma on fade balls one against Oklahoma was insane dude guys up in press right right in his face and he sells his inside route so much gets the cornerbacks hips oriented in that direction then explodes towards the back pylon and it's just wide open on the play and you're talking about you know they're Baylor was on like the six yard line or something like that. And he's creating that much separation, selling that inside break that well. And the one against Oklahoma state, it was a little bit further out, but it was another fade ball where he fired up about four yards into the leverage of the Oklahoma state cornerback fired his feet and then exploded towards that back pylon. And I felt like the Oklahoma state defender was all over it, dude, but the throw was well put and he just climbs a ladder and makes an impressive contested catch and gets both of his feet in bounds, which is something you don't have to do in college, but still wildly impressive. 
And I think you're right, man. I don't really know why a lot of other people aren't on this. I feel like I think Greg Cassell is somebody who has spoken highly of Thornton. I think this is an excellent addition here on, on day three, I would say. And somebody who has probably higher upside than what we're even talking about if he can get on the field and prove to block. And those are things that I feel like can right. still be answered because he's six foot three, 185 pounds. He's not the biggest dude. But talk about receiving, stretching the defense. This is your guy. I assume the frame is the main reason why he's not getting a lot of buzz, just being, you know, 180 something at six three. It's not, it's not ideal, but that can be fixed. Like you can add size and you can add strength to your profile. You can't add the things that he has, the traits that he has. And those are not teachable. And I love this kid. My number two sleeper is a player who I think I saw on your list. So I don't want to steal him from you, but it's Kyle Phillips out of UCLA. I remember a, a few months before the draft, before we, when we were still in the dog days of the giant season, I think it was during the Glennon from days, which are just as disastrous as you could imagine. Like I, I think back to us doing the all 22 films and me being like, Nick, do we really have to do this? Nick, do we really want to do two episodes? Can we do one? Nick, do we even want to do one? Should we just give 20 minutes on this? Does anyone give a crap about the Giants offense on tape right now with Jake Fromm throwing the football and or Mike Glennon? But we're past that now, Nick. And I remember a player who my buddy from UCLA who went used to go to UCLA is like, you got to keep your eye on this Kyle Phillips kid, our slot receiver. And there's a limited ceiling here. So he's a sleeper, but he's not someone I'm like, you could take him on round two and you're getting and it doesn't matter that he's not projected there. He has so much upside. I don't know if I see a total ceiling with Phillips. I think he's a slot only type receiver, but I just remember a receiver like him and I'm not comparing him to Cooper cup at all, but Cooper cup was another receiver like him who won with a creative, you know, a variety of ways in the slot, including strength. Like that's a big part of Cooper cups game. His, his overall strength, in addition to just the savvy route running and his spatial awareness. And Phillips is not as big as Cup, so he doesn't have that same strength position. So I don't think he'll ever be as good a player as Cup. I want to make that clear. I do not think he has that kind of ceiling that Cup had. And no one thought Cup had that ceiling, but I'm even after the fact, knowing what Cup did, I don't think he has the ceiling. But he wins in a variety of ways in the slot. He gets open all the time. And when you watch that UCLA offense, Phillips is a huge part of what they did there. And I remember even when I started watching Dolchich, who was another player who you put on my radar, Nick, but also my friend also was like Dolchich and Phillips. Those are the two guys you need to know from UCLA in this class as far as value goes. And I saw so much of Phillips and I was like, who is this? Who is this white kid in the slot? To be honest, that's what I said out loud. Who's this white kid in the slot? And then I was like, oh, Kyle Phillips. Started watching a little bit more and I'm like, yeah, this is a guy who I could put on my offense and, and, and know that he's going to be able to kind of execute a role and help you move the chains. One player came to my mind when I watched Kyle Phillips film and it was Hunter Renfro. He has that similar route savvy that Hunter Renfro had. They're both pretty small handed Hunter Renfro. I think had the smallest hands I'd like ever seen the combine. They were sub eight inches, which is insane. That's like insanely small hands for, for a person, let alone an NFL player and someone who's incredibly sure handed like he is Kyle Phillips. I just pulled it up. He has eight and five eighth inch hands. So probably a little bit bigger than Hunter Renfro's, but I, I, from a route running perspective and from a craftiness perspective and from a toughness perspective, it made sense. And the one play that always sticks out to me was against LSU against Derek Stingley Jr. Where Derek Stingley Jr. Was aligned over the slot. This was like the first game of the year and Kyle Phillips beat him on an over route. And then Derek Stingley Jr. It, it looked pretty lackadaisical to be honest. He kind of goes into the tackle point along the sidelines. You expect Phillips to be just pushed out of bounds, but he sheds the tackle of the cornerback that was on that side and then just kind of goes underneath Derek Stingley Jr. who misses the tackle and he takes it to the house for a touchdown. And you're like, holy crap, man, that was one amazing play. So I love the call of Phillips and you're right. He is one of my sleepers as well. All right. Give me your next sleeper then. 
Yeah, so this guy is somebody who was mocked in the top 10 in the past, and that's Clemson's Justin Ross, prototypical X-type receiver. And Matt Waldman broke it down well, and what he said made a lot of sense to me because this is somebody who has good tape. He has the vertical ability. He's not necessarily a burner or anything like that, but he shows up to the combine about six weeks after he was able to train. He couldn't test at the combine, but then he shows up at his pro day just six weeks after being able to train. And he ran a 4.6440 with a 31 and a half inch vert and a 9.8 broad. So not anything that is spectacular. But I think if this guy falls to day three, you've seen the glimpses in the past. And as well as he, as long as he checks out from a medical standpoint, because he had a back issue that really hindered him. And then he had a foot issue this last season. So he was playing through a foot issue in 2021. So he hasn't been healthy in a little while. But I think he's a better athlete than these numbers would indicate because he hasn't, he wasn't really able to train post back and post foot injury. So I think you could be getting a steal on somebody who is going to win those contested catches and be a prototype X receiver late in the draft. I just think he shouldn't be a sleeper. And the only reason he is is because of all of these injuries. And that's something that I can't really necessarily weigh on, weigh in on, but I can see why he didn't test that well. And I think you could be finding a diamond in the rough if he proves to be healthy. Yeah, I really like that call. It's hard to not see a little bit of T. Higgins when you watch him just because they wore the same, <laughs> so they come from the same place. But they're not the same receiver, but they definitely have some of those really good traits, that ability to catch away from his frame, the size, the length, things you like to see from a receiver from a skills standpoint. So totally like that call. My next sleeper is going to be a player that I didn't expect to like or even watch too much of, and that's Wandale Robinson out of Kentucky. Robinson's a player I only really caught attention to this draft period because I started watching Will Levis. And I really just started watching Will Levis because I saw the tweet from Pete Briscoe talking about how a lot of NFL evaluators really like his his skill set and think he could move all the way into the top 10, top five discussion in the next draft class. And that's the quarterback out of Kentucky, Will Levis. So I started watching Levis. I did like five games of Levis, and then I kept noticing Wandale Robinson every game, every drive play to play just that unbelievable like explosiveness that he has the suddenness after he catches the football he's an incredible yak type receiver he's small and he's not really going to be in my mind an outside vertical option but he is going to be a weapon that can be used on your offense if you are a creative team like we're hoping the Kafka and Dable led Giants offense can be and you want someone to run like jet sweeps you want someone to run stuff around the line of scrimmage you want to get the ball in the hands of somebody in a variety of ways and somebody who can kind of do different things that more than you expect in creating even over the middle. I saw in some degree with uh Wandell Robinson tape. So I like Wandell Robinson a lot. I think he's kind of being slept on. He's not, he, there's a lot of guys who fit his billing that undersized explosive uh, type prospect. But I also think his lateral agility and his just ability to like juke and make defenders miss is pretty special from what I've seen. Yeah, you're right. He ran a lot of seam routes and stuff like that. So he was making those plays over there. And I like Wandale Robinson. He was a transfer from Nebraska and just didn't work with Scott Frost. He ends up going to Kentucky and kind of linking up with Liam Cohn, who is now the offensive coordinator of the Rams after Kevin O'Connell left to take the Minnesota job. And the interesting thing about Cohn is he had those Rams. He had that Rams background before because he was with McVay before he took the job at Kentucky to be the offensive coordinator. And you can kind of see it when you watch the tape, you see the influences of Sean McVay in Kentucky's tape and how they used Wandale Robinson. Like they would use, you know, Robert Woods in a variety of different ways. Like they used Cooper cup. You want to hear my comp for Wandale Robinson? I don't think it's a hundred percent, but I do think he is a slightly knockoff version of Kadarius Tony. How do you feel about that? 
I like that comp. I think that comp is exactly the type of player that I see on tape. I don't think, like you said, he's as good. He's he's definitely more of a knockoff version. I'd say for me, it's probably a little bit more than slightly. I would say just from what I've seen, just less explosive. Also, just kind of not that same. It's hard to explain that grit in Tony's running style, I guess I would say. Though he does, he is strong after after you know after uh, upon contact and creating after contact. But I really do like that call because traits wise, there's a ton of similarities there. Yeah, and I also think the and I, I don't even think there's many people in the NFL who have the change of direction that Kadarius Tony has. I don't yeah. think we talk about that enough. I think he may be one of the best in terms of his ability to literally be a hundred percent, hundred full go, and just stop and change direction like that joystick type of stuff. That's that how I felt with Jamison Williams in this class. And I know you, you did a good job explaining that earlier. And that's like, that, that's one of the key traits to look for. Yeah. Jamison has a lot, I would say much more speed. And I know, I think yeah. you would agree with that than for sure. And our guy, another player that I have is Jalen Tolbert out of the university yeah. of South Alabama. Now this guy has good size, about six foot three, you know, 195 pounds around there. He's playing a smaller level of competition down there at South Alabama. I don't think he's necessarily dynamic at anything, but if we're talking about day three, big body guys who can go in and win contested catches and be an effective option as like a, to start a wide receiver for, for you, I think this is a, a player who can be developed, who ran a diverse route tree, and who also possesses enough of a release package that I feel like he could translate into the NFL and have success. I know you're kind of weighing him against you know lesser competition, similar to Christian Watson, but I also thought he was solid at the Senior Bowl. I wish he really kind of took that moment and seized it. I thought he was solid, had a couple really nice plays, but he didn't necessarily shine over some of the other receivers. Still think he's a very good option on day three. Yeah, I really like that call as well. And I'm going to go with a local guy, Bo Melton out of Rutgers. Melton's a guy who I got a chance to see live a little bit, watching with my family and then, you know, a lot of Rutgers fans that I'm friends with. But had a chance to watch his tape too, and I see what I, I see what I like. I see an explosive athlete. He Obviously, he's not going to bring size profile to the next level. He's not a complete receiver. Don't think he's any kind of X. But I think he can add explosion and just, in my mind, raw speed that I think is better even than what he tested at from my opinion of watching his game speed to the next level. And those are two traits that you need on any offense, explosiveness and raw speed. That's how you create explosive plays. And I think at the next level, he could be a really dynamic return man, potentially too, for the giants or whoever draft him. And I know they brought him in for their local pro day. They're going to do or their local visit workouts, whatever it is before the draft. They're going to do that for these Rutgers guys anyways, but they probably got a good look at him and they probably got a good feel for who he is as a person too. And if he has all that stuff going for him, I can totally see the giants or any team being interested in him. Yeah, I really like Bo Melton. I think he can come onto a roster and be an asset as a special teams player right away who could possibly develop into a more prominent part of your offense. I don't think he's going to step onto a team and be that right away. But if you want an explosive dude who's going to be available on day three, then look no further than Mr. Bo Melton. Shout out to New Jersey. Four-star guy who ended up staying in New Jersey. So I always respect that. You know he could have went to another Big Ten school and had success playing with a better quarterback. Yeah, without a doubt. All right, give me another sleeper, your last sleeper. Yeah, so this guy, if you're looking for Drake London and big body receivers and you, you don't end up getting the guy at all, I think that Devin Williams out of Oregon is somebody to look into. This is somebody who transferred from USC and had basically one year of somewhat production at Oregon, but nothing too spectacular. And I just feel like he uses his frame and his size very well, adjusted to those comeback routes very well too, because he's not the most fast receiver. He's not going to take the top off of defenses, but I felt like he had a good rapport with the quarterback in terms of those comeback routes. And he did a good job kind of sinking and, 
uh, sinking his body and locating these these balls that were underthrown when he was on the vertical plane. Yeah, he did a great job using the defender's leverage against him, against Washington State on this deep out route. About 16 yards, he ran this out route and got the defender's back turned to him and that forced the defender to flip his hips kind of towards the end zone to kind of come around on a speed turn where he's in the view of the cornerback the entire route and then he forces the cornerback to do a speed turn and right as the cornerback does the speed turn he cuts his route off and heads towards the sideline and the speed turn was supposed to be for a vertical route so the angle of the defender went vertically instead of horizontally and then it just created extra separation in doing so so i think he did a pretty good job doing that my last sleeper nick it's not a typical sleeper for dan schneier because it's not a trade space sleeper at all it's almost the opposite it's David Bell, the receiver out of Purdue. I've watched a lot of David Bell over the, over his career with Purdue, and he just has a knack for getting open. It's hard to explain with a guy who's not really all that huge. He doesn't have incredible athletic traits or anything of that like that nature, of that nature, I should say. But he does an excellent job of getting open. And we talked with John Schmelk a few days ago on the podcast about like how he believes the Giants need to do themselves a favor and find a guy who can just get open and create easy solutions for the quarterback via his route running and his ability to just spatial awareness, uh, route running savvy, all the things we've discussed with some of these other prospects. I think Bell has those, and I think Bell can operate as an easy solution for Daniel Jones or whoever is the quarterback on some plays where you just need an easy solution. You need someone who's going to come over the middle or make a cut to the outside that creates enough separation to have an option for your quarterback to throw to when everything else is not there. I love this call so much, Dan. David Bell is so underrated because he does kind of look like a grandpa out there running around, (laughs) which is a huge slight. It really is, but he just knows how to get open and he's thickly built. He's 6'2", 205 pounds, and he has that muscle that you want. Now, he only really aligned to the right side of the line of scrimmage, but I can't tell you how many times this guy ran a post route and for some reason he was just open, dude. (laughs) He was just open. You You don't understand why. It just happens. He's not sudden at all, dude, but he just understands how to get open. He has the spatial awareness like we talk about, and I just feel like he is a deceptive route runner who really sells his stems and his intentions well. Yeah, I like him. I like, And I feel like it's kind of like what I talked about before with Thornton being kind of the discount version, the arbitrage play on Watson that you can get 100 picks later. I, I if, I'm, if I'm thinking about taking John Mechie, and I know you're a little higher on Mechie than I am, I'm just not going to take him. I'm more comfortable waiting 100 picks and taking David Bell. I don't know if David Bell will fall 100 picks. I'm curious about that. Yeah, Yeah, we're Mechie versus Bell. It's hard to say. All right, now let's transition a little bit here. But before we transition, I do want to go over what we've already said. In case anybody wants to write this down, in case anybody wants to take notes. I know in the past people have said they wish we kind of had a cheat sheet during the draft for what we had said in the pre-draft process. That's something me and Nick are considering, and maybe if we have time at least. We'll try to put together kind of like a cheat sheet with our sleepers by position, targets for each round by position, our top five maybe for each, things like that. But in case you're tracking now and in case we don't get a chance to do that based on time, we'll go over it real quick. Top five receivers for Nick, Jamison Williams, Alabama, number one. Garrett Wilson, Ohio State, number two. Drake London, USC, number three. Chris Olave, Ohio State, number four. And then Jahan Dotson, Penn State, number five. For me, a couple other surprises, Jamison Williams, my also my one. Traylon Burks, wide receiver, Arkansas, my two. Garrett Wilson, my three from Ohio State. Chris Olave, my four from Ohio State. And then Christian Watson, North Dakota State, my five. Sleepers, Nick has Tyquan Thornton, Baylor. Justin Ross, Clemson. Kyle Phillips, UCLA. Jalen Tolbert, South Alabama. And Devin Williams, Oregon. I've got Tyquan Thornton, same thing, Baylor. 
Kyle Phillips, same thing UCLA. Bo Melton, the local product, Rutgers. Wandale Robinson, Kentucky. And then David Bell, Purdue. All right, Nick. Now let's go round by round and talk about players from this position that you'd be comfortable or even excited. You can go and you you can expand however you like. If you're just comfortable, if you're just okay with it, if you jump jump for joy with it, if you'd run to the podium with it, if you even consider trading up, that's how much you like these players at these picks. By the position. So first, let's start with picks five and seven. Is there a single receiver you consider the Giants drafting at five or seven? No, there's not a single receiver. I'm not going to entertain that. Giants need a lot. Yeah, they not only need a lot. I just think the other positions that they could take are better. Overall, better players. BPA. Not only are they positions of greater need, simply better. So no for me, too. Now it gets interesting. At 36, and you can include guys. So I know we did this earlier, and we kind of brainstorm through the process, but don't necessarily rule out guys, in my opinion, that could fall that you don't expect to fall. I know we always go through over this in the draft process, Nick. I always feel like guys could fall further than you do. Not even further than you do. I just feel like you never know with the stupid thing. It's it's so it's such an imperfect process. These mocks mean almost nothing compared to what these NFL teams have these guys, how the NFL teams have these guys stacked up. So open up your, I'll just say open up your horizon and, and consider some guys you think right now are locked first rounders that just sometimes just won't be what we expect them to be as far as lock first rounders go. So I don't really think any of them are, are lock first rounders. I think Drake London is going to go in the first round. I, I think Jameson Williams will. He certainly would have okay. if it wasn't for the ACL injury that he's recovering from. I think Garrett Wilson will. But I, I could see a scenario where Chris Olave, Traylon Burks, Christian Watson, and players like Jahan Dotson are available for the Giants at 36. Now, would I go in that direction? Ultimately, probably not, but I would certainly entertain it. I think I'm probably going to like other players at other positions a little bit more, but I would definitely entertain those guys that we already went over. And then George Pickens from Georgia and Sky Moore from Western Michigan. Okay. So for me, I would total, I would rule out Pickens or more for me, just for me. Olave would be an interesting one. If he falls, I'd consider it. I don't have any who I'd probably prioritize. I'm just like you. I'm probably not taking a receiver here. But I'd be comfortable with and intrigued by taking either Christian Watson or Traylon Burks because what that's telling me is the Giants see the elite upside based on their traits. They see that they have elite traits that translate to the next level, and they see that what can they do for this offense. And the upside to those guys alone has me interested. I don't necessarily see it as much with the more Pickens types or even to some extent Olave, even though I have Olave ranked higher. Than, than Christian Watson, for example, in this case. But if Watson or Burks are there at 36, I can be convinced. How about number 67 for you, Nick? Yeah, so if more pickings are there, then I'm also going to be much more enticed and intrigued. But I also have John Mechie's name written down here. I think this is where you start entertaining it. It's not a run to the podium pick at 67 with a guy coming off of an ACL injury. But I heard someone compare John Mechie to a Robert Woods when he Ooh. came out of USC. And I can't remember who did it, but I was like, that made a lot of sense to me. And I wasn't studying the draft back when Robert Woods came into the NFL, but I do think they're both that gritty. I'm going to be at the third down option. I'm not great at anything, but I'm really good at a lot of things. Granted, I, I would like Metri to be a little bit more consistent with catching the football. But overall, I think he's going to be someone who, if he does slide, could be at a value because of an ACL injury that he may be recovered from by the time the season starts, or he might just miss a couple games or get put on pub. Interesting. I'm, I'm intrigued by that idea. I think for 67, for me, it'd be more Pickens, Sky Moore, who I think has a better chance to fall there than probably you do. 
and Dotson, who I also think has a better chance to fall there than you do. I always see these receivers expected to go round one, expected to definitely go round two. Somehow there's great talent when you pick in round three. Almost every single year, there seems to be these great BPA opportunities at wide receiver because I think the NFL is, is caught on to it. Like, you don't have to take these guys super early, all these guys. So I think there's a chance Dotson could be there. I think there's a chance Moore could be there. Those would be my one and two targets at 67. But Pickens is also somebody I'm intrigued by. All right, now if we get to 81, their second of their two third-round picks to close out day two, at least as we know it today, with the current picks on board that they have. Are there any receivers who intrigue you that you'd be comfortable with? And so far, I feel like neither of us have had, had any uh, run to the podium type guys. I mean, at, at 30, at 36, 67 are obviously five and seven. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I would agree with that. But there are two guys here at 81 that I would certainly consider who might be available at this point of the draft. I want to get your opinion on that. And that's Alec Pierce and then Calvin Austin. Pierce is from Cincinnati. Austin is from Memphis, two totally different players. Alec Pierce is a six foot, 215 pound receiver, whereas Calvin Austin is like five, seven and a half you know, 190 pounds, 195 pounds, maybe, but just an absolute burner and a speedster. Pierce in his own right, an excellent type of athlete who can be a big slot. I also think he can align out wide. He did at Cincinnati. Calvin Austin, I don't want to say he'd be a bit player or a role player because I think he has enough of a skill set to find the field more often than not. But if you do want to make him a role player, he, he could have a very valuable role because he is lightning with the football in his hands and he has the separation and speed that is coveted in the nfl and you're getting him at pick 81 here love those calls i'm a little lower on on austin than you are austin's not somebody who i want here but i totally get it and i i just i have too many reservations about him based on his size and what his like overall role could be with the giants long term but Alec Pierce, man, this is a guy who I loved. I don't know what happened with me with Pierce. Beginning of this draft process, he's one of the first guys I evaluated. Fell in love with him. Fell in love watching his tape. Then he ran an insane 40 time for his size that I'd never really expected him to run, despite the fact that he won so consistently on verticals at the collegiate level. And I still didn't kind of go into it like, oh, my God, this is a guy I love. And I even have him like behind guys like Watson and and some similar type, uh, you know, athletic type prospects. But Things I like about Pierce's game are his ability to adjust to the ball in the air, his ability to high point the football. Those are two things I love. His ability to win vertical routes. His athleticism is pretty crazy. I mean, he was six foot three, one and one eighth inch, the 86th percentile, weight in the 72nd percentile, wingspan and arm length in the 73rd and 78th percentiles, an 82nd percentile 40 yard dash, a 441, which I just never expected him to run with a 93rd percentile vertical jump. That's 40 and a half inches and a 90th percentile broad jump, 129 inches. This is an elite athlete who doesn't necessarily get the credit for being an elite athlete that he is. Do I have some concerns, which is why I'd probably wait until 81? Yes, I'm concerned a bit with the same thing that concerns me when I watch a player like Drake London, their ability to separate on vertical routes and against press coverage at the NFL level. It's obviously a huge jump. And I've seen a lot of these types in the past fail the Laquan Treadwells. I don't think he's Laquan Treadwell, but I've seen those types fail. And so I have some reservations. I'd wait till 81, but he's someone who for the first person on this list that I, it's not going to say, I'm not going to say run to the podium, but he's somebody who I would probably target and will probably be at the top of my wish list if he's there at 81. Yeah, dude, Pierce, he was somebody though that Bruce Feldman had on his freak list. So yeah. he, he did receive some love for, for being the freak athlete that he is. And all I got to say is just turn on the Notre Dame tape 
and we want to talk about defeating press. He, several times he was being able to defeat press. Just can that translate to the NFL level? Yeah. That's another question. But, dude, he had a win on the left side and the right side against Notre Dame where he just fired his feet, released in his desired location, and then stacked on top of the cornerback to give Desmond Ritter enough space to put the football. I, I, uh, I like everything that you said about him, and I would agree as well. I think he's a good and contested catch, and I think he's an undervalued asset if he's there at A1. Yeah, I like him a lot at 81. I also like Jalen Tolbert, a player who you listed before as one of your sleepers. I could take him at 81, and I could sleep with that. I'll be happy with that. Let's get to day three, though. At pick number 112, this is a big pick for the Giants. I always feel like there's a BPA, just glaring BPA, when you get to the top of day three. I don't know why. It's partially why I'm just so disappointed in this this Ben Bredesen trade. Like, I just want pick 104 back. I want to take somebody from this class instead of Bredesen going into year three of his con- rookie contract. I want to restart that and get a player we like and we can handpick from the new regime. It's not going to be the case. Bredesen better give us something this year, Nick. I'm freaking going to be so pissed at the stupid last regime for dipping into the future of the other regime. Bredesen ends up sucking. I really will because it's they, that's a big pick, 104. But they don't have it. Whatever. 112, there's going to be a lot of BPA-type players at a lot of positions. Do any of the receivers stand out to you as players who you think could be the best player available at 112 to start us off on day three or just someone who you'd be comfortable with taking? So I don't know if the best player available, maybe Kyle Phillips out of UCLA, and he's one of my first targets. And then there's another name that comes up. It's probably going to be around here. I would more ideally like it at 147, but 112 is also okay. And that is Khalil Shakur out of Boise State, just because I feel like he's a very, very good route runner. He had this route on the third and five against Fresno State where he was a number three receiver in a three-by-one set, and it was – schemed up a little bit but he sold this out and up so well and then the other two the number one and number two receiver created a pick against man coverage and it just gave him the leverage to make this catch down the field track the football and then fall out of bounds eventually but if you watch his film man he just seems to be one of those crisp route runners not a dynamic athlete but a good enough and a functional athlete to have success in the nfl so i think khalil shakur i'll start entertaining him around 112 but i don't think he would probably be my top option but 147 i'm, I'm listening I like it. I like. I haven't seen much Shakir, but I, I hear a lot of people like him. For me, at 112, Phillips would be on my radar. I think this player might be available at 147, but I'm not sure I care because I think he's a top 100 prospect easy. And that's a player who was our number one sleeper, both of ours. That's Tyquan Thornton, the wide receiver out of Baylor. This is where I'm looking to get him. Pick 112. It may seem early, but that's what you say until some team loves him and they take him earlier. And you're sitting there waiting for 147 like, what the hell did I really pass on this guy just because I thought his ADP, this is like a fantasy football type argument. It's like, did I pass on this guy? Cause I thought he'd be there based on his ADP based on where we're seeing the buzz and the mocks and all that trash that again, these NFL teams are not following or focusing on whatsoever, which is why we see so much difference in the mock drafts and the real draft every year. But for me, Tyquan Thornton will probably be my number one target of any player at 112. I'm going to find it hard to believe. I'm going to find a player who I think has better upside there at 112 and i think he can immediately offer something to the giants with that deep threat um at his frame too with his with his long frame too that's where i'm looking at 112 i i'm interested in in tolbert if he falls there too but i would say and phillips who we mentioned but thornton at 112 i like it yeah i think that's a good spot for thornton and we kind of went over a lot of these guys for the 112 area do you have anybody else even after that like 147 173 range yeah, 147 is when I started to consider a few players. Thornton, if he keeps falling, if they don't take him 112, I definitely obviously want him there. Bo Melton, the kid out of Rutgers on my sleeper list, who, again, like you said, I do feel like his ceiling's a little capped as kind of like a special teams, not gadget, but like slot type guy. 
but I still like the explosion he can offer your offense at 147. And and at the very least, he gives you that special teams floor. But 147 is actually where I'm starting to consider Justin Ross here. And I know you wrote him down as well. And I think back to last year, right, Nick? When you get to these picks, 147 range, you can try to you maneuver it. You can try to, like, game it and try to get your best player available. You're looking at your board. You see this guy is rated so much higher. But ultimately, these guys mostly don't work out. Once you get to this range, there's a heavy bust rate. So I'm good with taking a player like Ross, who, if he busts, it's just based on the medical. And this reminds me of the same debate we had last year with Trey Smith, the guard who ultimately came out of, who came out of Tennessee, ultimately went to the Chiefs, I believe, all the way in round six. We didn't want to take him. A lot of teams didn't want to take him. The medicals, who knows if he'll play. But why does that matter? Like, why should – I'm not even sure, sir. Like, if you get to a certain point in the draft, does it even matter – if they have a condition that you believe may make them at that lead to them being out of the NFL in as soon as a year, because these guys are bust most of the time. Anyway, you can find special teams guys on the free agent waiver wire. You can find special teams guys from players ending out their rookie deals. who are good on special teams, their prior team, but just don't want to resign or they're just not in the picture. So I don't want to focus on special teams. And then as far as like taking like a lower ceiling type guys, who may be tested or, or, or not tested well, who may be like either A, tested well, or B, interviewed well with you. I'd rather just take the guy who might be out of the NFL in a year, but also if the injuries don't end up being a problem, like was the case with Trey Smith, and like could ultimately be the case with Justin Ross, the receiver out of Clemson, who we discussed earlier as well, I'd rather just take the swing there because these guys are busts most of the time. Why not take a chance on somebody who the questions don't surround what they can do on a football field? Yeah, and I think that's an interesting way to look at it and not a bad way to look at it. It really just comes down to what the doctors say about them, and unfortunately, we can't really weigh in on that. But I'm almost out on that is my point. Like I know, And I totally get that, Nick, and I know that's what teams do and what the Giants are going to do. I'm kind of out on that. Like If the doctors give you a bad report, who cares? Like It's not a matter of like the longevity thing. The doctors have these reports. I don't know. This condition, it's really troubling. Like with Trey Smith, it's really troubling. I don't know if you want to invest in this. Why? What are you losing? What's the opportunity cost when you give up pick 147? To me, it's not very high. The opportunity cost of these fifth round picks and on is just ultimately not that high for me. Yeah, I'm wondering if the the NFL views it that way, though. And I think there are probably some teams that are going to be more risk averse. The last regime, I mean, they had the inside track on Trey Smith having Jeremy Pruitt on their on their staff. And they decided not to go in that direction, which ultimately seems like it's a disaster, even though it's only been one year. Yeah, and I don't even know if that we, – we, we always bring that up, the Pruitt thing. But who knows if that's even what was citing factor. Citing factor might have been the Giants' doctors not giving the okay, right? There might be just some guys who they rule out immediately based on the medicals. Could be, yeah. It's hard to say. Yep. Okay. How about if we go even deeper than that into the final two picks the Giants have, 173 and 182. Any deep, deep sleepers that have caught your attention? Yeah, so Vilas Jones from Tennessee and then Danny Gray from SMU. Danny Gray, if you turn on his tape against – Tulane and his tape against Houston, you see somebody who has a little bit more route nuance than he's probably given credit for. He had this like 40 yard catch against Tulane in the first quarter where he was running vertically into a zone coverage cornerback and kind of got into his blind spot and throttled down right before he was in the blind spot, which forced the cornerback to kind of press towards the the sideline a little bit and attempt to get into a better position to handle what would be a comeback route or a curl route, but instead it was just a double move and Gray exploded vertical and ended up getting like a 40-yard gain. And he also had a really nice play against Houston as well. So I, I think when you when you look at these speedy type receivers who can get down the field, Danny Gray, Vilas Jones, they both kind of figure into that. The play against Houston was 
he was fighting through contact the entire time in press coverage and was kind of getting squeezed off the red line towards the sideline, but he kept dipping that inside shoulder and using his hand not to create separation, but to keep the guy off of him. So he wasn't going to get called for like the full extension. And then he tracked the football so well and made this really impressive catch. So if you're looking for a late round wide receiver who has speed, who has solid size, I think he's about 6'2", 200 pounds. I think Danny Gray out of SMU is probably my number one. And then Vilas Jones is somebody else to also consider if you're looking for that same size type of profile. And Devin Williams, somebody I brought up before, I think he's an interesting sleeper, but that's only if you're looking for that big six foot five guy who's not great at creating separation. Yeah, I love that you brought up Danny Gray because he's my number one deep, deep late sleeper. I think when you're looking, you're translate, you're trying to translate where do these traits, how do these are trying to guess how do these traits translate to the next level? Some of what makes some of these best receivers in the NFL, the Antonio Browns and Deontay Johnson's of the world, is their just ability to throttle down and get in and out of their breaks with smoothness and explosion. And for a player who's grouped in this deep, deep group like Danny Gray, and I know he played at SMU, obviously against bad competition, all those things are factors. He gets in and out of his breaks pretty smooth, and he's pretty explosive for somebody who's mocked this late. And those are enough for me to get excited. Other additions to my deep sleepers are DeGene Dixon at a nickel state. Haven't seen much of him, but I've seen enough because when I'm banking on these late guys, I'm banking on traits. He's huge. Six foot five, 210, and did really well. I know he played at nickel state, so it's like, how much credit do you want to give someone for dominating the competition there? But they, and I might be DeGene Dixon, so I want to make that clear. But at nearly six foot five, 200 pounds, have that kind of success rate and just to have those traits. I like the potential there it's just again just a total traits based pick the, the the last one for me is not as much trait based it's just somebody who i've seen win enough at the collegiate level and i'm like you know what this guy can win like he wins a decent amount and he's got decent size too it's ty Fryfogel out of indiana when they actually had their passing attack going which was like a nice brief period i believe in the 2021 range or it might have even been that all the way back in 2020 definitely not last year it's either 2020 or 2019 Ty Freifogel was the focal point of that offense. Six foot two, two, 205, does a good job getting open. He really was at his best during that 2020 season. Fell off in 2021 as the entire Indiana passing game and offense fell off. I've seen enough just from watching him on Big Ten Saturdays that I, I, I like this kid as a potential late round guy that you take in your, with one of your last two picks and you see what he can do. Yeah, Ty Freifogel, that's an interesting call right there, specifically in this, you know, round six, round seven, good sized wide receiver. And I know you've probably watched a lot more than than I have with Ty Freifogel, but I remember I went into one game against Indiana and I saw him and he seemed like he had solid movement skills, solid athletic ability, nothing too dynamic about yeah. him, but I haven't watched his 2020 tape. His 2020 tape is much better than his 2021. Okay. I mean, that's definitely, you know, those are the kind of guys you want to go for somebody who's proved it, but then, you know, when the situation falls apart around him, he can't necessarily overcome it. That's not necessarily his fault. And it seems like Indiana has been a disaster, at least last year it was. But if you remember two years ago, that was the team that was giving, you know, Ohio State and Justin Fields fits with their defense. So the team seemed to be in a good spot back in 2020. Yeah, for sure. All right, that's all we have today. It's a jam-packed, loaded episode. We're going to try to do cheat sheets, but hopefully you wrote some of this down. We did top five, we did sleepers, and we did each pick who would be comfortable taking targets for each pick. So thank you again for tuning into the Big Blue Banter podcast. Great rest of your week or weekend, and we'll talk to you soon.